Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and once again, welcome to Grease to Wheels. It's your Uncle Jimmy behind the microphone here at the Rock and Roll Garage, bringing your weekly Thursday dose of garbage, coming out just pipes. Hey, I just want to say, uh, today is Tuesday. I hope you got out and voted. I think it's pretty important that you vote. It doesn't really actually matter to me all that much who you vote for as long as you cast a vote and it gets counted correctly. Uh, you got to get involved, man. If you don't, then uh, you really can't complain about what the fuck's going on and Believe me, some of the stuff that's going on, yeah, that's so good. All right. Hey, also, too, I want to thank you guys out there in Greased Wheels Nation for what you do. I want to thank you for uh, twisting the wrenches and turning the screwdrivers and keeping the planet moving, keeping everything working. Uh, I appreciate it. I know that not too many other people really understand what's up. I do. Okay. And if you twist wrenches and screwdrivers any anywhere else on anything else, I appreciate you too, because believe me, there's a lot of stuff that works on this planet and works just fine. And we take it for granted. And then when it doesn't work, we scream bloody murder. I know that the reason that we don't have to scream bloody murder very often is because you're doing your job. Thank you for what you do. I appreciate it greatly. I do. I really do. Now, uh, let me move forward here. The uh, subject of today's podcast is going to be how your shop loses money and how it can make money. Okay. Now, all day long, I, I actually, I, I, I want to confess, I spend a lot of time thinking about what kind of subjects I want to bring you. And uh, usually what happens is about five seconds before I want to record the podcast, I finally find a subject that I want that I want to latch on to. Here's one I've been thinking about for a while. And when I looked into it, I didn't really find a whole lot of material on it, but I did find some material on it that sort of leads us through what I've got going on in my head. And what that is, is how your shop makes money and how it loses money and why it does. Okay. Now, uh, as a, as a technician, you and I know that the only way we can make money is if we're working on shit, right? Okay. And if there's a lot of shit to work on, which quite frankly, there probably is. Okay. Because there's not that many of us and there's a whole lot of people out there who need their cars fixed. And some of them have to wait a long time to get into shops, uh, wherever they are. Uh, I've heard of wait times of up to two months. You know, you call to make an appointment and they say, Oh, we're scheduling for November and it's August. And this is happening out there. And this is happening out there because there is a shortage of technicians. I don't need to tell you. I tell you every week there's a shortage of technicians. You can take my word for it. I uh, did actually read something very recently that says that the uh, number of technicians that are coming out of automotive tech schools now has dropped off from last year 11%. So there's less and less people attempting to get into this field, really. And it's not surprising to you and me, right? Because the job, eh, well, let's just be frank and say it sucks. It sucks. It's a hard job. It's physical. It's very demanding mentally and physically. And the pay is just not there. The pay is not there. And nobody who has their fingers on the buttons that make the pay go up has figured out that that's a way to fix the problem. I, I wholeheartedly believe that if this job paid well enough, people would want to do it. You'd see more people get into it. You'd see more people keep doing it, and then you wouldn't have a shortage. But because they're very short-sighted, typically not college-educated, and uh, just basically fucking greedy, you're not going to see that happen. Not until not until the shit hits the fan. And guess what? The shit is headed towards the fan, um, but it hasn't hit it yet. It's going to real soon, I think. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of us older technicians like myself are going to uh, beg off on the job. 
beg off on the career, get the fuck out, and leave you leave some of you in very poor hands, honestly, and I apologize. Uh, you know, some of you will be better off without the old fuckers hanging around, and some of you won't. Uh, it's going to be up to you how you feel about that. Uh, and I say that a lot because you're the ones who have to figure out how the, this job goes for you. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that almost every technician I ever talk to talks about getting into some other field of endeavor to make money other than being an automotive technician. And uh, I applaud their efforts. And if they leave, I congratulate them for getting the fuck out. Oh my God. It's a horrible job, folks. Uh, You know it. I know it. And come home stinking, filthy, dirty, uh, disgusted, angry, screaming, in my case anyway, uh, and bloody sometimes, aching, ready to quit at a moment's notice. Seriously. Uh, Again, thank you very much for what you do. I know it's a tough job. I seem to be one of the few who recognizes that, okay? Now, when we talk about a shop making and or losing money, one of the things that we have to consider as technicians, and I started to go down this path a little bit ago, um, if you're busy and you're busy turning hours, you're busy making repairs and doing maintenances and installing parts, doing productive things that earn you money, then yeah, your shop should be making money too. But how efficient are you? And how efficient are the people around you, okay? Do you get a car in, look it over, maybe start doing an oil change on it, and then come up with an estimate for things that you found that are not good on it? And then your parts department, you know, fills the rest of that estimate out for you. Yes, we have those parts. This is how much they cost. And then you apply the labor to it. Maybe somebody else does that. And then you send it over to a service advisor who says, yeah, that guy's not going to want to buy that. Okay, there right there is where your productivity goes straight down the fucking tube, boys and girls. And uh, I will say that a shop's profitability is probably most of the time not actually in the hands of the technician. It's in the hands of of whoever is speaking to the customer, whoever's talking to that person who owns that car or has dropped that car off. A service advisor, maybe an owner in some cases, in independent shops, it could be an owner, or perhaps uh, maybe... Maybe they're, they receive texts from somebody. It could, it doesn't have to be a service advisor. It probably should be, but it doesn't have to be. It could be from an assistant, uh, service manager or even the service manager themselves filling in maybe, or just trying to plug some holes in a dike that has a lot of holes in it and, you know, helping to get things done and moving forward in a, in a proper manner. So there is a lot of places, a lot, a lot, a lot of places where your shop can lose money. And one of them is, and I, this is what I want to kind of concentrate on. One of them is not selling stuff, not providing all the services a customer needs, sometimes not even telling them about it. Okay. Now I was reading a story on here where a guy uh, was a consultant, a service consultant for a company. And he went in and he observed what goes on in that company and tried to help them make some adjustments to what they got going on. And uh, I don't know if he was successful or not. The chances that they enjoyed any more success, not very good, okay? Because when you deal with people who have figured out a way to do their job in a certain manner, they don't want to change. You know, if their job, if they have gone and made the effort to make their job as easy as they possibly can, and then you suggest that they make it uneasy or more difficult, okay, whichever you prefer, then they're going to fight you tooth and nail. They don't want to, they don't want to have to do that because that involves them doing extra work. And I'm talking specifically here about service advisors. What I've seen them do, and in many cases have uh, been the non-beneficiary of this, is when they see a customer, they'll instantly 
target that customer. They'll instantly kind of make a uh, judgment call on whether or not that person has any money or any desire to get anything done in their car or whether or not they're, who knows what? I mean, who knows how they're prejudiced against this particular person? It could be racism where they don't like what color they are or what kind of nationality they represent. It could be misogynist where they just don't like women or they just don't feel like women know jack shit, which is gonna be wrong and it, it horribly wrong and, and even more so in the future, by the way. And also too, maybe they look at how they're dressed or even what they're driving and decide making decisions on the spot, on the spot with the input that they take in with strictly their eyeballs. And that can put the kibosh on your shop's productivity or shop's profitability. If they decide that they don't need to sell this guy anything at all because he probably doesn't have the money. Who who the fuck gets gets to make that decision? Well, it should not be the service advisor. That's for sure. But yet that's happening in a lot of a lot of shops. It's happening in a lot. It's happened in all the shops I work in. What needs to happen is you almost need to be blind. You need to have somebody come in and, and you're standing there and you got a service dog for when you need to go somewhere. And he comes in and you're just shaking your head like Stevie Wonder because he can't see anything. Right. And they go, hi, can I help you? Yeah, I'd like to drop off my car. Great. And so you're, you know, you're blind, but you can still work a keyboard. So you write the guy up and then you ask him if all the information is correct, which is always a good idea anyway, even if you're not fucking blind and then you go okay well what's going on with the car well it makes this noise okay what's it sound like it sounds like a you know it sounds like a wheel bearing okay so you type that in and then maybe because you can't see either a what kind of car it is or b what kind of customer you're talking to you say you know have you got any maintenances that are due i mean why not why wouldn't you ask them why wouldn't you ask me? Well, geez, it's been a while since I had an oil change. If you'd like, I can tighten you up with one of those too. Yeah, go ahead. Boom. You just sold an oil change. You don't have to wait for the technician to say, oh, you know, they need an oil service. They're way overdue, right? Okay. So let's move forward with that. You got any other services? Are the wipers clearing the windshield? Okay. Well, really? No, they're not. They suck. You know, but it hasn't rained in a couple of days, so I forgot about it. But you know what? That's a good thing that you mentioned that because the last time I turned them on, all it did was smear shit all over the window. I couldn't see anything at all. So well, how about, so? What do you say? We throw a set of wiper blades on? Okay, boom. And you're writing this all up, and you don't even have the use of your fucking eyeballs, and you're selling better than some cocksucker who's sitting two chairs down from you who has his eyeballs and uses them to incorrectly make some sort of of judgment call on a human being that he doesn't know fucking anything about, right? So maybe you ought to hire some blind service advisors. What the fuck do they need to see for anyway? They're not seeing the kind of things they're supposed to. Now, I don't want to wail on service advisors too much because there is an enormous shortage of them as well as technicians. Uh, the one thing that te- uh, service advisors have going for them is really you only need to be a, a, like above the age of 18 and know how to spell things somewhat or maybe work on a keyboard and that's it you could be a service advisor it's not that hard there's no school for it there's no college for it there should be some training for it there are some places that actually do have training for it but for the most part they just fucking hand you a shirt that has the name of the company on it and park you behind a keyboard and tell you to go ahead and start helping the customers when you don't have a fucking clue how to do that and then the guy next to you who's a piece of shit starts training you how to be a piece of shit and there you go you just lost a fine you've lost you've lost the opportunity to have somebody learn how to do it right because he's learning how to do it wrong from somebody who does it wrong on purpose because it's easier to do it wrong than it is to do it right so maybe you ought to 
<laughs> maybe you ought to fucking think about hiring some blind service advisors. Would that work? Because, I mean, what's a blind guy going to say to a guy? He can't see him. He can't hear him. He doesn't know what he's driving. He has to type it all in. He goes, what are you driving? Oh, well, you know, a 2020, you know, Audi a4 boom okay that's a nice car i mean is it clean you know you got is the inside i mean i I have to count on you to tell me these things because i can't see it but is the inside clean or you got garbage in there or what you go well you know it's got kind of some garbage in it it's a little dirty oh you want to you know if you want as as a blind guy you could sell us you you want us to detail it for you because you know oh how much is the detail well i think we get 150 bucks but let me tell you what it's worth it i'm told because i can't see so there you go you're not even selling something you're selling something you can't even see yourself but you know it's good because people have told you it's good and even if it's not good it is good now it comes back this guy's in the waiting room okay is he because he has to wait or maybe he wants to wait maybe you don't have any loaner cars either way he's still there and you come up and you you send up uh, an estimate to the blind guy and he needs for you to read it to him he go well his brakes are low in the front they're good in the back and his tires they're gonna need to be replaced soon okay how soon 10,000 miles. Okay. And the brakes in the front. Is that something that needs to be done immediately? No. He can do them within the next month or so. And they'll still be good as long as, I mean, as long as he's not driving around with his foot, uh, with his uh, left foot on the brake pedal, he'll be fine for about another month, maybe two. Okay. Depends on how hard he steps on the brake. Boom. Okay. And then you, you find out, he, he tells you how much the pads and rotors are going to cost for the front and the tires and the alignment. And then he goes and he talks to the customer. He says, well, he says, the technician took a look at your car, which is something I can't do. And then he said, your tires, eh, they're okay, but they're going to need to be replaced pretty soon. We can do them now if you'd like. Uh, I'll see if I can scrounge up a loaner car if you want so that you don't have to hang around here while we do that. But here's your tires. They're going to be X amount of dollars. If we're going to do all four, we want to do an alignment to make sure that they don't get chewed up too. Because he did mention that there was a little bit of unusual wear there. And then the brakes in the front, they're going to be due in about a month. They're really low, but they're still working, but man, they're going to be really bad real soon. Okay. So we could go ahead and do that. And all you have to do as an advisor, and like I said, the blind advisor could do this. The blind advisor could do this. He could just ask for the goddamn sale. That's all you have to do. He's not making any judgment call on this guy. He's not making any judgment call on his car at all because he can't he doesn't have he can't see i mean maybe he could smell the guy and go "Ooh, wow lay off the paco raban holy moly uh but other than that i mean what kind of input does he have he doesn't have the visual i think it would be great if we went up front took all of our service advisors and just stuck a number two pencil right in their eyeball so they couldn't see and then they couldn't make these uh they couldn't draw these conclusions that mean oh i don't got to sell that guy anything because he doesn't have any money that's a really big big biggity big way that your shop loses money when stuff that you went out of your way to document is bad or is going bad and it's going to be bad soon and then you have the parts department give you an estimate on it you figure out what the labor is on it and you give it to the service advisor and he throws it straight in a fucking garbage can okay and if you have a if you have an advisor who is doing that you need to throw him straight in a fucking garbage can okay you need to you need to start requesting more of your service advisors you need to start requesting more of the people who handle your customers Say, listen, we're just going to ask you for the sale. We're not going to browbeat you. We're not going to use any sales tactics on you. We're going to tell you, you your brakes are still working, but in another couple of months, it's going to be a danger zone. Okay, so let's not go there. We can get them done now, or you can make an appointment to get them done later. Uh, here's, uh, I found actually two articles on this particular uh, subject, and I wanted to bring you uh, both of them. 
today and i'm going to do them organically because uh that's the way i do it it's, i'm sorry eric it's just the way it's going to get done okay uh the first one is where is your auto shop losing money when you're assessing your auto shop's financial strategy and policies you want to be as thorough as possible yeah i would think so while each shop will likely discover different sources of financial leaks money places where money is bleeding here are a few key ways many shops lose money without even realizing it till they take a closer look incorrect pricing one area to address when you want to ensure your shop isn't unnecessarily losing money is your pricing and the processes that carry it out. And this is really pretty much involved with everybody from the technicians and the parts people up to the advisors, if you have any. Uh, first, if you haven't considered your prices for a long time, it's important to assess whether they are still financially viable. If your shop spends a lot of money on, let's say, rent or utilities, and you haven't raised your labor rate in a good while, you may want to think about doing that because nothing in the world, I mean nothing, literally nothing, gets cheaper, okay? And if you stay the same with your pricing for your labor and for your parts markup, then you're going to be behind the times because it, it, I'm telling you, and we have a recession coming. Uh, some would say it's here already. I don't think it's actually bitten us as hard as it's going to. It has bitten us hard. I think it's going to clamp on real tight like a pit bull and it's going to cause us all of us a lot of problems. People try to tell me all the time that the automotive aftermarket industry that we're in is recession proof. I think they're wrong. If people don't have the money to get their car repaired, guess what? Car doesn't get repaired. Okay, I don't get the money for fixing them. Uh, for example, if you're able to di purchase a part at a discount price, but your system automatically charges customer double that price, you're effectively losing the extra deal you got on the part. No, I'm not. Not if the customer pays double. Uh, that's not really true. But you do want to be fair to your customers because if they find out that you made 5,000% uh, on a part because you got a deal on it and then you charge them the regular price you would if you paid regular, they might get upset. But do they find that out? Nah, not unless you tell them. Finally, you should also ensure that you have, uh, you should ensure that you have a way to account for the right prices for add-on or extra services so the charges to your customer don't fall through any cracks in your system. I'm not sure what they're talking about there, to be quite honest with you. Incorrect pricing? Well, if a parts price comes through or a labor comes through and it's not correct, maybe you quote two hours labor on a job that should take five, ooh, well, that's on your technician. So he's going to lose money because he's not going to make money on that job. If it takes him, if he says it takes two hours and it pays five and it takes him three, even you're not ahead of the, you're not ahead of the, uh, you're not ahead of the curve there. Neither you nor the technician. If the parts that you, uh, put forth an estimate on, come to $100 and then you find out something else is broken or something else needs to be replaced or that you have to have bolts and they cost extra, that's something else that can cause you to have incorrect pricing. You need to you need to kind of be on top of this stuff, okay? Uh, and, and I've told you many times, I told a lot of people here that if you have uh, junk cars coming into your shop and you're not necessarily uh, looking forward to them and they never buy anything, and it's it's a waste of time. You need to get the fuck rid of those people. And incorrect pricing will, uh, correcting your pricing will do that. If you raise your labor rate to a specific dollar amount, it will help to keep out some of the junk, some of the shit. You'll still get it sometimes, but you can just hammer them. Just hammer them. Say, your car needs all this, and this is how much it is. And they'll take the estimate, and they'll wad it up, and they'll walk out, and they'll drive off, and they'll never fucking come back again. You know, and sometimes you want that. 
I, I know that it, that works against what I'm trying to tell you here, but sometimes you want that. There are certain customers and certain cars you don't want to have to fuck with because you can't make money on them. Nobody can make money on them. You touch one thing, you have to fix this thing. You touch that thing, you have to fix the other thing. It snowballs into a fucking losing proposition. Cut your fucking losses. Get them out the door. You know, you can even be nice about it. Say, listen, your car has seen its day and its day was a long time ago. Now, here's an estimate for what it's going to take to make this car all good again. All good. It's very, very high. Now, we would like to have you for a customer, but I can't foresee spending this much money on that kind of car with that kind of miles. It just wouldn't be cost effective for you. So I'm going to give you this estimate. I'm going to let you ponder whether or not you want to get it done. And if you don't, I'll understand. If you do, again, I'll understand but it may not be the best choice for you, okay? But it certainly is your choice. This way, you're not really damaging your relationship with your customer, uh, and he may appreciate your honesty. He may not. He may tell you that you're full of shit, this car is in great shape, and that you should just fix one thing. Uh, And and at some point in time, you may just say, if I fix one thing, I got to fix 10 things. I'm not going to do that, okay? Save your money for a new or newer car, all right? Employee downtime is one of the other components here. Here's what it says. There's just, there's just four points here, okay? So we're gonna go through this real quick and then we'll move on to how to increase it. Employee downtime, when you're losing production hours, you're losing the value you get for your money. That's uh, that's right. If you don't keep your technicians working and turning productive hours, taking out the trash, not productive hours, cleaning up the shop, not productive hours. While some downtime is less avoidable, you should check out your scheduling and service processes to ensure your techs are spending a minimum amount of time waiting around for parts, checking for approval, or taking care of personal matters. Another easy way to maximize production time is to ensure that all of your techs are properly trained. Well, okay, that's that's a great, great idea. You certainly don't want to have uh, a car that a, a technician has never seen before and has systems he's not familiar with, have him looking at it. Not only am I sure that that happens now, but in the future, it's going to happen a lot fucking more because the guys who have all the training, or at least most of it, are going to be leaving, retiring, dying, quitting, moving to another shop or whatever whatever it is they do, they're going to be leaving. And it's going to leave you with the new guys. And the new guys aren't going to know even half of what the older guys know. In some cases, you might get some really sharp new guys but there's definitely going to be a lot of things they don't know. So uh, having the proper employees and investing in training, sure, that's definitely a good thing for you. There's no way to amateurize that against how much money you make unless you're really, really, really on top of it. I mean, uh, just as an example, let's say you get a hybrid in or an electric car in and you've got a, you have a technician who just got back from some training on hybrids or uh, electric vehicles and he's able to dive in, skunk out the problem and give you a proper diagnosis and an estimate for repair. And then the repair gets done and boom, that car's on the road again. The customer's happy. He paid good money to have the car repaired correctly. You look like a hero. The technician looks like a hero and the customer is very happy. Uh, and that's all because of training. So don't don't look down your nose at training and say, oh, they don't need that. They should come with it. You're going to be lucky if they come with enough training to write their name and blow their nose in the future. You have you have absolutely gutted the uh, market for technicians with your low pay and your terrible 
uh, working conditions. And you'll be lucky to even get human beings to come in to apply for those jobs, let alone take them. Uh, it says here, you can save both time and money, especially considering the electronic issues on newer vehicles that you're sure to see more of in the future. That's right, that you're damn skippy because cars are getting more and more difficult to fix. On top of getting more and more difficult to fix and having more and more options and more and more electronics, when they build one of these cars, it's brand spanking new for a week. After that, it's just basically a used car. And then it starts to age right along with the rest of the cars in the world. And pretty soon, someday, that car's going to be 10 years old. Nobody's going to give a shit about it. It's going to have a ton of miles on it. And half the systems in it are not going to work at all because nobody knows how they work. So now you got a 10-year-old car. 10-year-old technology that nobody knows how to fix or nobody cares to fix. Does that make that car worthless? Well, quite frankly, if you don't know how to fix it, yes. If you do, you could be sitting in the driver's seat picking these things up for $1,000 all day long, fixing them and putting them back out the door again for $10,000. It has happened. We've all done it. If you're a technician, you got more than five years in the biz, you've done it. You picked up a car that was pretty much written off as junk by somebody else and you went in, you turned some screws, maybe you replaced a transmission or an engine or you put some wheels and tires on it or something. You did something to it. Suddenly it looked a lot better than it used to. It worked a lot better than it used to and you were able to sell it and make some fucking good money. Yeah, lots of people do that, okay? Um, but this start, this particular point started out with employee downtime. You're going to need to, uh, a lot of shop owners and a lot of service managers are going to need to scrutinize how much your employees have to do and when they have to do it and what they're doing when they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that you should throw them in the boat and make them row the fucking boat while you sit there and whip their asses with a cat of nine tails. That's not what I'm saying at all. But... You should do something similar to that. You should scrutinize what they're doing all day long, maybe from afar even, and find a way to make these people more productive. If you don't have enough work, that's a problem. You could fix that problem, right? Write a few more appointments. Maybe have your advisors sell some more work. Holy shit, what a fucking concept, right? We just talked about that. Your advisors, uh, in some cases, will declare that the, the technicians are super busy and that they haven't got enough time to do anything. And you go in the back and you say to a technician, say, hey, can you throw a water pump in this car? I go, yeah, sure. I thought you were super busy. Who fucking said that? I didn't say that. Fuck, if I, got a, if I got a water pump job, it pays five hours and I can do it in 30 minutes, I'll fucking stop whatever I'm doing and bang that thing out. I'm suddenly ahead of the game for the day. We know how it works. We know how everything works. We know how to do it. We know how to do what we do. If somebody else is telling you that we're slammed or we're busy, you should just look at them and say, "You, how the fuck would you know? How the fuck would you know if they're slammed, if they're busy? Well, they're not working on my stuff. Maybe your stuff sucks. Maybe you brought in this fucking car and they wanted you to sell 10 fucking things on it, but you only sold one and then you wanted it done right away. And they said, you know what? Go fuck yourself. If you'd sold some other stuff with it, I'd pull it in and do it right away. But since you only sold what they absolutely needed and they declined everything else, maybe they didn't even decline it. Maybe the customer didn't decline it. Maybe you declined it because you're an asshole. Then that car gets shuffled to the back motherfucking burner, pal. That's lost sales. An employee downtime right there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Find out if your technicians have enough work to do all day long. And then find out if your advisors are selling shit. Because if they're not, there's fucking a big part of your problem. Why your shop might not make any money. You got a car in a shop. The car's inside the shop on the lift. That's the best fucking time to get all the things that it needs quoted and priced out for an estimate 
and make the attempt to sell it before it leaves the fucking shop. This is not happening in a lot of shops. It doesn't happen in my shop. I routinely do oil services and brake fluid flushes and then create an estimate while all that shit's going on. And then when I'm done, I send it over to parts and sometimes they lollygag on it, but most of the time they don't. Our parts department is pretty good. Uh, shout out to those boys. Okay. They do a pretty good job, usually unless they're all at lunch, which sometimes it seems like they are, but uh, most of the time they're not. Okay. If they get the estimate done right away and the advisor just kind of ignores it because he doesn't want to have to deal with it or he doesn't want to talk to the customer, then that car gets finished up and put outside and washed. I can't tell you how many times they sell something on a car finally and they have to go out to the done row and bring it back in. It's all clean, vacuumed out, ready to rock and roll. And now I'm putting more parts on it. So it's got to get cleaned again. So there's a, there's a bit of a lag there and that's, that's employee time, downtime. And you know what too, honestly, just between you and me and whoever's listening, if I quote a bunch of work on the, on a car, okay, let's say I quote tires and brakes and they need a starter or they need a water pump, or maybe they just need a, who even knows a headlight bulb and all and I get, I get the estimate all written out and I get it sent over to parts and I put the car outside, put the car outside. And either I put it through wash, depending on what's wrong with it, or I just put it out back waiting for approval on whatever it was. If they come back and say, well, all they wanted was a headlight bulb. They're going to hold off on the tires and the brakes. They go, well, guess what? I'm going to fucking hold off on fixing it, you fucking asshole. And you have to come back three times and go, hey, did you put that headlight bulb in? No, I didn't. Go fuck yourself. And then they'll say something like, and I love it when they do this, because everyone thinks, and you guys know this, everyone thinks of putting a headlight bulb in a car is easy. Right. Go ahead and go ahead and think that. Go ahead. I'll get that sometimes. They'll come back and go, oh, did you throw that headlight bulb in? No, I didn't do that. Well, uh, can I do it? Yeah, you can certainly give it a fucking shot if you want to get your fucking fucking soft, slimy hands all fucking cut up and scraped up. Go right ahead. Knock your fucking self out. You can do everything we can do, right? You can diagnose from the chair. You're fucking better than we are. Listen, if you're a service manager or a shop owner, get inside the shop and see if you're having this employee downtime problem because that's that's your money slipping away as the clock ticks. If your employees don't have enough work or if they're doing the work and getting it done quickly and not, and have nothing else on top of that, that's where the money, that's where your money is just flying out the door time-wise, okay? Lost sales, again, while it may be impossible to eliminate lost money due to lost sales, sometimes it's impossible to control your potential customer's decisions. Sometimes it is impossible to control their decisions. But if you don't give them the opportunity to make those decisions, then you lose every single time. What's it Kobe Bryant used to say? You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. There are ways to minimize this loss. The key here might be overhauling your customer experience by improving your waiting area. I don't know. Uh, waiting areas, if you have any kind of waiting area, it should probably be somewhat cozy, comfortable. If it's not, that's not good really, okay? You know, uh, get get in there and, and pretend you're a customer and see how fucking shitty, <laughs> shitty it is or how good it is. It could be good. I know we had, uh, the one place I worked at, we had a couch that was so nice that if I went up front and was tired, I'd lay down on it and take a nap. That was one comfortable ass couch. I'm sure they got rid of it though. Couldn't have that on. Can't have technicians sleeping in the couch the customers are supposed to sit on, right? <laughs> oh, also improving your personal interaction skills on your staff. Yeah, there's a lot of work needs to be done there. Or the overall speed and quality of your work. Well, that's you as a technician. The speed and the quality of your work has to be good. And it probably is. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there real quick. If you're listening to this right now and you're working, or if you're not listening to this and you're working, you probably are pretty good at what you do. You have a pretty good pace to what you do and the quality of your work is good. Okay, I'm going to kind of give I'm going to say that that's a given. Not really a given, but eh, there it is, you know. Uh, and if your work is not speedy 
or timely and the quality of your work's not good, let's fucking step it up, get there, okay? Let's try to be a little quicker, but uh, let's not compromise the quality of our work and let's see if we can raise the quality of our work. Uh, hidden problems might have to do with uh, your conversations, turning potential customers into customers and turning one-time customers into repeat customers. That's another way to uh, keep from having lost sales. A potential fix could be updating your management software to a program that can help you better follow up with leads on past customers. Um, if you have customers who've declined repairs in the past, and maybe even recently, maybe not recently, you could certainly follow up. You could say, listen, you know, we, uh, you know, maybe send them an email or even a postcard in the mail saying, uh, you know, uh, we noted that your tires were not so good last time you were in the shop and you declined the repair. We now have a special on tires where you get a free alignment and the fourth one's free or you get a hundred dollar gift card or whatever. They said, if you, you know, if you'd like to reconsider having us uh, replace the tires on it, please give us a call. We'll schedule you in and we'll get you taken care of. We're concerned about your safety. We know the tires you were driving on were not so good. We would like to rectify that situation. And if money is the problem, we will work with you, certainly. There is no reason why you couldn't put that out in an email. There's no reason why you couldn't put that out as a postcard, okay? Losing a sale doesn't mean it's completely lost. You just lost it at that particular point in time. So get with the program. And and you know what, too? Honestly, uh, and this is just a, a byproduct of that. If you email somebody with... A, personal email just say this is this is dave at such and such an auto repair shop uh i know last time you were in your tires were not so good uh if you have not replaced them they're they're not going to get better by themselves we have a special on tires right now uh i'd like to extend to you this offer to get your tires replaced and get an alignment done if you want to contact me we'll make you an appointment if it's necessary we can set you up with a repair loan through a credit card company so that you can get this done and be safe driving your kids wherever you drive them or driving your dogs wherever you drive whatever you have whatever reason you have for driving we want to make that as safe as possible and we will help you get there okay if it includes getting you a, a, a repair loan or a credit card or maybe just giving you a hundred dollars off or perhaps providing a free alignment whatever we got to do we're going to take care of you that particular kind of personal interaction with a customer says a lot to that customer says listen they could have just said you know fuck you you're not going to buy it suck my balls and and then that's it but no instead what they did was they sent a personal message saying listen you know we're, we're worried about the condition of your vehicle. I know you had to decline the service last time you were here. We're going to help you not, so that you don't have to decline it again. And if you want to bring it in, it says that you care. Holy fuck, what a concept, huh? You know, this is something that you could also pull on some of your other employees. Huh, it says that you care. But with your customers, there's no reason why you can't do that. There is no reason why you can't. And then, you know, you need to word it so it doesn't sound like you're harassing them. I said, listen, your tires were bad last time you were here that was two weeks ago they can't they couldn't possibly have gotten any better unless you replaced them somewhere else which i'm hoping you didn't do you should bring it back here and let me put tires on it you dumb fuck <laughs> i'm pretty sure that that kind of email is not going to go over very well but you know uh, it's all in the message it's all in the delivery and you know what if if it's sincere i mean it, it, sincerity is really not that hard to fake boys and girls <laughs> i'm being sincere now uh you can you can actually create a, a fan out of a customer by saying, look, we're worried about what's going on with you and your car. This is what we do for a living. Help us do it for you and keep you living. Okay. Something silly like that, but uh, don't just immediately say, oh, that's a lost sale and it's gone forever. It's not gone forever. It just left. It could certainly come back. Okay. Uh, here's the next point here. They say is something that's costing your auto shop money. Uh, inconsistent processes. Pfft, 
man, I could have wrote this one. We have the most inconsistent processes at the shop I work at. It is ridiculous. All of us as technicians, uh, really, we know what to do. We know what we have to do. We have to fix the cars, okay? How we go about it, however, oh my God. Each one of us, and, and literally a good chunk of us, probably about 75% of us have worked at other shops. We're fixing cars the way we did at our last shop because nobody in our current shop has said to us, oh, this is how you need to do this here. They just, they, they haven't they haven't taken 10 seconds to say, oh, this is how we want this done here, or this is how we want this done here. You know, you'll hear some people complain about how something gets done and they don't like it, but then they don't offer up a solution to the problem. They just complain. And of course, you know, that's one of your Uncle Jimmy's pet peeves. Got a problem, going to complain about something, give me the fucking solution or shut the fuck up. I think I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. Give me the solution or shut the fuck up. It's like give me liberty or give me death. Pretty much basically the same fucking thing, right? Uh, Here's what it says. Inconsistent processes. Finally... And this is the last point here. An inconsistent service slash repair process might be getting in the way of your maximum productivity. Yep. And therefore your maximum profitability. Yep. A bad repair process for any type of repair can mean an increased number of comebacks because the job simply wasn't done right the first time. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem. It's not a real big one where I'm at. Some places it's a huge one. Comebacks are perhaps the biggest threat to your financial operations because redoing a job for free means there's less space in your shop to take on paid work, plus the cost of more parts slash labor slash time to avoid costly comebacks. Always use quality replacement parts and create a strict and trusted process for all technicians to follow when doing a repair so they can avoid costly mistakes. Uh, inconsistent processes, uh, you know, they what they basically said was uh, try not to have comebacks. But there are a lot of different and inconsistent processes. Uh, some of the repairs that some people do are uh, unnecessarily horrendous. Somebody comes in and says, my car won't start. I think my battery's bad. Do you need to spend three hours charging that battery and then testing it? No. Look at it. See if it's got a day code on it. If it's more than five years old, just say, yep, you're right. Boom. See ya. Put a battery in it. Collect your hour and a half and get get, get in and get the fuck out. You can certainly make a mountain out of a molehill if you want, but you're probably not going to get paid for it, okay? So really an inconsistent process would say to you, hey, if the customer says he thinks the battery's bad, battery's probably bad. You know why he, the customer would think that? He's never fucking changed it. Car's brand, He bought the car brand new and it's now five years old. Could the battery be bad? Hell yeah, it could be bad. And can you test it real quick? Sure, you could throw a tester on there and it'll tell you if it's good or bad. And if it's bad, change it. Don't spend hours upon hours charging the goddamn thing. Oh, like you're supposed to. And then checking for a draw. Don't do any of that shit. Somebody says, I think the battery's bad. Get the tester out that tests it and prints out a sheet that says, yep, the battery needs to be replaced. Boom, you're done. Okay, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. And it's good for a lot of repairs, okay? Got a coolant leak, pump it up, find out where the coolant's leaking, go to that spot where the coolant's coming from and quote it. Don't spend a whole hell of a lot time looking at everything else over seeing if it's leaking somewhere else okay probably only has one fucking leak the chances that it has two are not that great they're not that great and if it does have a second leak you can certainly cover your own ass by saying look i'm gonna fix this one leak and then we're gonna have to pressure test again to make sure that that was it and if that was it you can have the car back if not if there is another leak besides that one then there's going to be more repairs due and that's a way that a technician who has experience such as myself will cover his own ass so that when you say, oh, is my car ready? Well, we fixed one leak, but we found some more. Here's another revised updated estimate. Remember we warned you that this could be uh, ha- that this could happen? Yeah. How about that shit, huh? If you tell people that you're going to make one repair and you might need a whole another one and you warn them beforehand, they're not going to be upset. But if you tell people that you're going to make one repair and that should be it, 
which you should almost never say anyway. Then you come back with more stuff. They're going to fly off the handle. They're going to scream at you. They're going to say that you're ripping them off. And that's going to ruin it. Our, all of us, it's going to ruin our reputation. So let's not do that. Okay. And comebacks, let's try to keep that shit to a minimum. There's so many different things that go on with comebacks. Sometimes, like I said, you, you're, you know, you've covered your ass, but it's still a comeback. You said, Oh, you know, if this doesn't fix it, I'm going to have to replace that or the damage was done to this particular component. But sometimes it damages that component. We'll replace this component. If that component needs to be replaced, you'll know pretty much within a couple of days, and then you can bring it back and we can get it done. Still makes it a comeback, technically. And the check engine light, really honestly, ladies and gentlemen, the check engine light should be called the comeback light because there's like literally five to 10,000 reasons why a check engine light could come on. And you know what? If you fix something that was making the check engine light come on, and then it comes back on again later, maybe even, hello, a lot later, not going to be the same fucking thing probably, but you can't get that through to a customer. He's already paid to have that fixed once. It's going to be the same goddamn thing because you didn't do it right, you know. No, this time it's something else. One light that people think is one thing when it's really like literally between five and 10,000 different fucking things. I don't like the check engine light sometimes. Although what I do like about it is when it's on, at least the computer involved, the engine computer knows what's wrong and it will tell you if you ask it nicely. Okay. As long as you have communication. Uh, now I want to move on to the six ways to increase your auto repair shop profits. Okay. There were six, six things here, whereas there was four things that ruined the profitability of a shop. And you know what? There's a way Way more things that can ruin the profitability of a shop, uh, you know, such as thievery and, you know, maybe you're in a bad part of town and you're not getting the kind of business you need to, you know, I mean, you're not going to want to open a uh, Mercedes Benz repair shop in an area of town where everybody drives, uh, you know, 15 year old Cavaliers and Ford Tauruses. It's not going to work for you. Okay. So you have to use some of your own intelligence to keep some of these things from happening to you. Now, uh, some of you may be asking yourself, why does Uncle Jimmy care if the shop owner makes money? He should be concerned with the fact that I'm not making any money. Well, uh, it's kind of a backdoor thing. If your shop makes good money doing repairs, let's say they're rolling in the dough, uh, they're they're selling everything you re- you recommend, and customers are just paying out the out the nose for everything, and everybody's happy, everything's getting done right, and the profits are rolling in. Uh, then you're when you ask your owner or your shop owner or whatever, whoever it is that's running your shop for a raise, they should be more amenable to it. But if you work in a shop where shit gets broken and damaged and nothing gets done right and there's lots of comebacks and nobody ever seems to pay for anything and you never seem to sell anything and it's just teetering on the edge of bankruptcy and you ask them for a raise, the chances of you getting a raise in that shop, not fucking good. Okay, so the better the shop does, the better you can do. But you need to tie the two things together, and you may have to explain it to your boss. Say, listen, are you making money? Yeah, I'm making money. Okay, do you know why you're making money? Yeah, because you know what you're doing. You fix the cars right, getting them out the door, bang, bang, bang. I need to give you a raise, don't I? Yeah, how about that shit, huh? Let's go on here and and sh- and examine the six ways to increase auto repair shop profits. Again, I did not read this beforehand, so we'll, I'm not going to waste a lot of time with this one. Uh, some of these steps I don't believe are going to be actually all that feasible for some of you. Uh, number one is take a disciplined approach to your finances. Yes. If you have somebody who runs a shop in the most lackadaisical manner and it's mostly a cash outfit, uh, you can look forward to not really showing on paper a lot of profits. Uh, and in some cases, I would imagine that an auto repair shop would be an excellent front for money laundering, to be quite honest with you. I mean, there's a lot of times repairs are paid for in cash. They're probably off the fucking books. 
Uh, I believe that this happens a hell of a lot. Uh, and if you work for somebody like this and you get a paid check and you don't get paid in cash and it's not under the table, you could be losing out. So here's what it says. No amount of tips or secrets will increase your profits if you don't treat your finances with discipline. Uh, here again, running a cash business and not purporting any of it that's not really showing the proper discipline. Driving more customers and increasing margins will be moot if you spend all that extra revenue right away. In other words, you want to keep your costs in check, okay? You know, uh, the products that you buy and keep on hand, uh, you know, the oil, the filters, and maybe brake parts that you keep around, the batteries that you have in your in your building, the you know, the brake rotors and 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 other parts that you might have in stock so you can get a repair done quickly. Uh, you got to be careful how much you're paying for that stuff. Uh, also, chemicals, a hell of a lot of money uh, goes down the drain with chemicals. Uh, if you have a guy who likes to snort uh, brake cleaner and uses a case and a half on every car, you're going to have to Come out and put the kibosh on that. That shit's not free. Never should. It's never free. Uh, and if if he's wasting it, uh, he might need to send that guy on his way. That's not a real good thing. Uh, also, to some of the services such as uh, electricity, water, uh, trash removal, equipment repair costs. Yeah, you need to keep a fucking lid on that shit, bro. That cuts directly into profits. Okay. And anytime a shop owner can keep his expenditures to these sorts of things, you know utilities and, and other uh, equipment repairs and the sort, maybe rents even, or leases. Anytime they can keep those expenses down, they can afford typically if they're doing well enough to give you a raise. And if you're getting a raise or if you feel like you need a raise, you need to be able to point to tangible reasons why you want a raise to say, look, I make you a lot of money. I make you a real lot of money. And if I left, would you be able to hire somebody who's going to make you as much money as I do? And you know what? In the occupational environment that we have now, the answer is going to come back a solid, fuck no. Hey, take a guy with 10 years experience, got all kinds of training and ASE certifications, and he wants a raise. He expects, you know, he does good work. This guy is worth his weight in fucking gold. And if he wants a raise, I think you might want to find a way to get one. Because if he leaves and you hire somebody to replace him, what's the chances that that guy is going to be even half as good as that guy was? Not good, okay? Reduce expenses. It never hurts to look through your expenses and cut extra costs that aren't contributing to your bottom line. For example, some shop owners cut their monthly trash bill in half by switching to an every other week schedule or switching to a smaller dumpster. Dumb shit like that can save you money. Other shop owners have cut expenses for off-site storage by selling off old items and still others have reduced expenses by price matching their laundry services. Want to he hear something crazy? If you have a laundry service and uniforms, buy the fucking uniforms, then buy a washing machine and a dryer. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's initially uh, quite the cost. I mean, they're not free, but they're not real super expensive. And if you're spending $50 a week to launder the uniforms for your employees, uh, how long is it going to take you to amateurize a fucking washing machine and a dryer? At 50 bucks a week, not fucking long. And you just have to buy laundry soap. And instead of having your technicians throw their laundry into a big basket and having some guy come in and haul it away, you just wash it. They have them throw it right in the washing machine, and when it gets full, kick in some fucking Tide, and boom, away you go. And you dry them up, 
You tell them, and then you hand them back to them. Maybe you make, maybe you put them on the hanger for them. I don't know. Okay, it's a way that you could save some money. It's certainly viable. Save, save, save. It says here the last 20 years have been challenging for small businesses, uh, partially because of the 2008 financial crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, we've all learned that it's crucial to make hay while the sun shines. If you got good work, get it done. In addition, saving money every month is a long-term and foolproof plan that will prepare you if and when disaster strikes. Here's a quote from somebody who has uh, made money every year for 33 years. This is in the article. Saving for the business's future should be an expense of running the business. You should have some rainy day money set aside is what he's saying here because it is absolutely essential. If you set an amount aside every month and treat it as overhead and factor in all factor that into all of your finances, you can maintain that. Uh, what he's trying to say is, you know, you may have. And we had this at the independent shop I was at. We had uh, a storm that came through, blew down some power lines, made working uh, very very difficult. We had a lot of work to do. We oh, pretty much were always busy at that shop, uh, and we came in and we worked without power in the middle of winter, and it was cold, but we did it. You know, we're tough. Excuse me, the guys who worked there were tough and we got the job done and uh, we did a lot of work when some shops would have just closed up and we got paid. We got paid and the shop got paid and things got done. This is this is something else that you can do to kind of keep your business going, figure out how to get it done. Uh, the next point here is practice patience. Increasing profits is a long-term game that requires discipline and patience. It can be incredibly tempting to buy a new TV for the waiting room or buy flashier uniforms. Those purchases can add great comfort and service for your customers, but make sure you have the money before investing and make sure that, you know, I mean, if you're switching from one uniform to another because you don't like the way it looks or perhaps the old ones are ratty or whatever, uh, speak with the people who have to wear them. I think that that would be a really good idea. You know, if you sit up front all day long and you wear a who knows, he really knows a what, and you're in charge of the uh, technicians, you're in charge of what they wear, maybe you're a service manager or an owner, and you want to change the uniforms or you want to change the type or the style or whatever, Ask them what they think, because the worst thing in the world would be to go out and get uniforms that are ugly and uncomfortable and just disgusting looking, which goes right along with ugly. But you don't you don't want to force people to wear something that you think looks good when it doesn't or they don't want to. Either way, you want to kind of try to be proactive with that okay? before you buy them. Make sure that it's going to be a, an accepted thing for you to do to them. Okay. Also, too, uh, if you spend money to do that, just remember that that's money that comes out of your profits. And at the end of the month, when you look at how much money you made, you're going to have to say to yourself, well, we wanted to change uniforms. That's where the money shows up that was spent. It comes right off the bottom line of profits. Was it worth it? Did I need to do it? Maybe not. I think if you didn't have a uniform, your technicians would probably still show up wearing clothes. Uh, just, just, just a hunch. And uh, that may be acceptable, especially if the customers don't get to see them. There's no reason why the customers should be in your shop. They don't typically have to talk to them. And even if they did, what are they going to find? A guy who has grease all over a t-shirt that he's supplied and grease all over his pants that he's supplied. Does it matter who owns those those clothes? No, I don't think it does. Not to the customer anyway. It's only really going to matter to you. So d- decide what you want to spend money on. Think about why and think about if you should. A big deal, okay? Number two, schedule appointments. Reducing idle time in the garage is key to productivity. Yeah, we know that. You're already paying for the lights to be on, so if you don't have any cars in the bays, you're spending money to keep the lights on and not getting anything in return. Yes, you definitely want 
to have uh, a slight backlog of appointments. I think that probably in all cases with shops, this is going to need to be a living, breathing thing. What that means is it needs to be modified on the fly on a daily basis. If you have, if you just say, oh, you know, you just say to your uh, dispatchers or your advisors or whoever takes the uh, calls for appointments, just say, listen, tell everybody they can bring in everything that day. Well, you're going to, you may, if your shop is successful and busy, you may find yourself with a parking lot full of people who are angry because you really can't work on a car that day because you brought in everything and you can't do everything every day. You can't, you just can't. So you have to be, you have to actually figure out how many appointments you should bring in, how many waiters on an average, because there's not going to be the same every day, right? How many waiters you might bring in, how many walk-ins you might have, how many tow-ins you might have. Can you calculate all that shit? Fuck no, it's shit's fucking totally random. It's totally fucking random. That's why I say it needs to be a living, breathing thing. And what should end up at the end of the day? Okay, let's say you, you had 20 appointments. You got 10 technicians. You had 20 appointments. You think, oh, that's not enough. But then all of a sudden, you got five walk-ins, two waiters, two tow-ins. Now you're up to 26, 27. Yeah. And they guess what? They didn't get to all of them. So now what you have to do as the boss is you have to start prioritizing. Cars that ran when they came in, they're going to be the first ones that get worked on. Cars that didn't run when they came in, well, I would work on them next. If cars got towed in, that would be at the fucking very bottom of the pile for me. Do you know why? Because those people are already without a car and their car doesn't work. So they've had to figure out some other form of transportation if they need to go somewhere. Now they may call you up. Hey, is my car done? Is my car done? Is my car done? They listen, it just got towed here yesterday morning. I haven't had a chance to look at it. I have other cars I have to look at. I'm going to get a look at it before noon today and I'll give you an answer back. And this guy doesn't, maybe he doesn't have a car or whatever, but you're going to have to slide his shit towards the back of your pile. Cars that run and you can get them done and get them down the road and you get the money. That's where you need to kind of concentrate. Anybody who's had shit towed there already knows the car's not working. You want to get in as quickly as you can, but not at the sake of your profitability, not at the sake of getting your customers who brought you shit that runs, not at the sake of getting those people back on the road. Waiters, you're going to have to do those right away. They should probably take precedence. Drop-offs, uh, random, unscheduled drop-offs, they get the fucking wait. They're last on the list, next to, ahead of the people with the tow-in. And you should let people know. You can let them know in the most... In, in the most pleasant manner possible. They say, uh, yeah, I want to drop my car off to get it worked on. Okay, well, we're a little busy. We may not be able to get to it right away. Is this something you can leave with us? And the way it looks right now, shops, like I said, shop's kind of busy. So I'm going to try to get it in and get it looked at tomorrow morning before noon. Um, if you want, give me a call about uh, one o'clock or so. I'll be back from lunch and hopefully I'll have an answer by then. I can't promise anything. But uh, we'll shoot for them. Does that, that sound acceptable? And they may either say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Or they may say, no, no, I really needed this right away. I go, well, um, without an appointment, the cars typically get looked at a little bit later in the day and, and a lot of times in the morning. But when a car is a carryover from the day before, those are the ones we look at first. So when I say morning, what I'm talking about is in the a.m., which means I'll have an answer probably by the very early p.m. And that's what I just fucking said. Only did you understand it this time? <laughs> so... Uh, you're going to have to fine-tune your schedule for appointments, drop-offs, waiters, and tow-ins. Uh, every day, you're going to have to figure out how to schedule these things in. You're going to have to figure out who writes what up, 
who writes what up and says what time they need to be in the shop. Some people are going to be a complete pain in the ass about their car. Some people are not. If they're not, I would reward them by fixing it right away. If they're a pain in the ass, I would be like, oh yeah, we can't find your car. Uh, you don't really want to do that. But you know, if a service advisor has to listen to a guy call him six times, I think that's what they get. <laughs> Here's another one, okay? Scheduling appointments, like I said, I want to just uh, touch on it briefly and I'm going to move on here. Regular maintenance should probably be some of the first things that you do because these are people who have who have gone out of their way to perform the regular maintenance that keeps their car running correctly and properly for a long, long period of time. And I want to tell you about a car that I own. Uh, I have a 2001 BMW 325, and it is the greatest little car I've ever owned. And I have done really almost nothing to it other than maintenance. I did have to fix a component in the transmission at one point in time. But other than that, there has been no superhuman efforts to keep this vehicle going. It has 205,000 miles on it, and it runs better now than it did the day it was built. It runs awesome. And all I do is the regular maintenance to it on time. So when other people do their regular maintenance when they're supposed to, I look to these people and think, here's somebody who knows how to fucking take care of shit. And I know that I don't have to worry about them bringing me their car on a fucking flatbed all fucked up and full of garbage and shitty and needing maintenance two years ago. Those people should fucking wait. They want to do maintenance when it's absolutely completely necessary. And if they don't, their car will explode. I'm not going to work on that guy's car over somebody who does their maintenance on a regular basis and takes care of it and does a good job of it, by the way. Because I can tell you right now, I've been to the junkyard and I've seen other 2001 BMWs that haven't been treated as kindly as mine. And they're fucking junk. There's a big steel pipe through the windshield. The fucking the steering wheel's been bent in half. The hood's open. Somebody hacked off the converters with a fucking sawzall. They smashed the radiator in a grill with a hammer. The fucking headlights have been beaten in. And the fucking thing's got something spray painted on the side of it. Like, eat me or fuck you. Eat shit or die, whatever. The trunk's open and it's full of water. And the seats are all ripped up and shitty. And there's this ashtrays are full of cigarettes. I mean, the car is junk. It is junk, and it is and at the time it was built, it was exactly like the one I have, which is clean and runs really, really fucking sweet, and I could drive it to California tomorrow if I had to without batting an eye. So what you have to do is find the people who treat their cars good and take extra good care of them, and when you run across people who are just fucking going to do whatever they have to do to keep it running one more year or one more week or one more month, and they're going to trade it in, which is a fucking lie almost every time, those people can fucking wait. They already have been anyway, right? Scheduling appointments, yeah. You want to be busy. I think that you should shoot for as as a uh, goal, and, I, and I'll stop talking about this, as a goal, when you schedule appointments, if you make, uh, let's say per technician, you make five appointments a day per technician, obviously this is going to leave you with a little bit of carryover. That's exactly what you want. Just a little bit of carryover. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if a car's not going to get looked at that day, that particular service advisor who wrote that RO should say, listen, we're we're in a, it's a, it's a full crowd scene in our shop right now, and uh, I haven't been able to get your car in. I'm going to get it in and get it looked at before noon tomorrow, and we'll have some answers for you then, but I don't have any answers for you right now. I apologize that it's taking so long to get it in, but uh, this is the state of the business right now. It's going to be the same everywhere you go, and this is how it is here. This is how it is here, and this is how it is everywhere else, okay? So, and if they understand, they understand. And if they don't, and I'll tell you this right now, if they don't, if they're like, I really need to know what's going on with it tonight, that advisor could say, listen, I'm going to call you back in five minutes. And that advisor could come back to me, and they know this. My advisors that work for me, that we work with, they know if they have to have something looked at immediately, I'll bring it in. 
I will look at it because I understand how it is for people. And I'm not, I'm not ignorant to the fact that people need their cars. And I'm not ignorant to the fact that, that they need to have at least some sort of an answer at some point in time. So I can do that. A lot of times I can look at a car in about 15 or 20 minutes and tell you everything I need to know. I'll scan it. I'll check the leak. I'll maybe look at the tires. Whatever it is they're having a problem with. Whatever reason they dropped it off for. can get it looked at real quick and get it down the road quick as well if I have to. Okay, I can drop what I'm doing. I've got other customers who can wait. They already are waiting. They can wait just a little longer. They don't. That's the thing is they don't know how long they're going to have to wait anyway. What difference does it make if it's an extra 15, 20 minutes? Now, if I have a car, and honestly, obviously, and we all know that, that this sometimes this isn't the case, okay? Sometimes a guy will drop a car off or he'll have a towed in and you say, I need an answer. And you go out to start it up and you can hear the connecting rods banging against the side of the fucking engine block. You shut that fucker off and you go, yeah, that guy needs an engine. Tell him I'll give him an, an estimate for the engine replacement tomorrow. Boom. But there's an answer at least. You know, he's like, oh, my engine's making a lot of noise. Yeah, that's because it's fucking finished. It's late for its own funeral, pal. All right. Scheduling appointments. Some people are going to be good about it. Some people are not. You need to work out a plan to squeeze squeeze as much in as you possibly can. That's how you maximize the profitability of the shop and your technicians, okay? Number three, moving on finally from that one. Number three, inspect every vehicle. Okay, now I don't like the way this particular entry starts out, but we'll go, we'll just go with it. I'm gonna read it. This is how it starts. My mother-in-law took her car to a local shop for a state inspection and tire alignment. After a quick inspection, it was clear that her car needed new spark plugs and brakes. I don't see how it could be clear it needs new spark plugs unless you took the fucking things out, but here we go. While she wasn't expecting to pay hundreds of dollars on car repair that day, it was clear that completing these repairs quickly would extend her vehicle's life, so she obliged. That inspection resulted in her local shop receiving 10 times more revenue than what was initially expected. A quick inspection, like, and then they go on to list somebody's quick inspection, could lead to the same bump in revenue for every shop. Now, not every customer will go from an $80 bill to an $800 bill. My mother-in-law consistently experiences excellent service from this shop, and they threw in an alignment for free. Okay, cool. Making those extra pairs easy to agree to. What they're trying to say here is two things, and I don't think it really came through very clearly in that particular snippet. Uh, number one, you're going to want to inspect every vehicle and uh, for some of us, and I will I will freely admit it myself is in this boat with you, some of us don't want to look at certain shit. We have at the particular brand manufacturer that I work for, we have uh, airbag recalls. I think a whole hell of a lot of you have airbag recalls. And a lot of these cars are in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 years old now. Okay, the fact that they're on the road still is kind of, uh, what's the word I want to use? Kind of weird, I guess maybe. I don't know. It's just it's the fact that some of these cars are on the road is still is amazing. And some of them appear as if that when we're done putting the airbag in them, they're going to drive them right over to the pick and pull and sell the car to them. Uh, some of them just look like pieces of shit. And I've said this before, but uh, I go out of my way to look them over and kind of give them an estimate on what I see is wrong with them. In some cases, it's horrendous and very time consuming. And I would say probably a good 90 to 95% of the time, it is wasted time. But then there's always one guy who that's his favorite car he's ever owned. He owned it when he was new. Uh, he went to high school in it. He had, he lost his virginity in it, whatever. Uh, he loves that car. He's, he's never, ever going to get rid of it. He has a name for it. He takes pretty good care of it, even though it has a lot of age to it. And maybe there's a bunch of shit that's fucked up. Quote him for it. 
if he likes the car that much and he wants to do five, seven, ten thousand dollars worth of work to him, fucking let him. If it's one of those deals for you uh, that you work at like a brand, let's say you work at a brand, uh, any brand really for that matter, and it's a car that you've worked on in the past, but you haven't worked on it in a long time, you'll probably still remember how to do all the repairs to that car pretty fucking easy. And and I had one that wasn't too long ago. I did about 35 hours worth of work to the car in about 10. So it was a real moneymaker for me and it actually uh, helped me have one of my best pay periods ever, which I don't think I'll ever be able to match again. But uh, you should inspect every car. You may inspect 10 cars and get nothing from 10 cars, but then that 11th car is uh, somebody's baby. And if you say, oh, it needs tires and brakes and control arms, and it's got a leak in the engine, it's got a leak in the transmission, and the rear differential is dry, and it needs all the tire, you know, everything, just really, literally the whole shebang, a windshield, tires, brakes, oil leaks repaired, transmission leaks repaired, uh, services all the way around, you know, oil change, coolant change, brake fluid flush, and, and it comes, the bill comes to like ten, twelve thousand $12,000, and the guy goes, Go ahead and do it. Okay. Does that take away the sting from doing it 10 times and not having it go? Well, it certainly can. Depends on how fast you could do all that fucking work and get that thing rocking and rolling, right? So you should inspect every vehicle. And another reason too, why uh, is that if a guy has, uh, or a girl could be a girl, if, if somebody has something majorly wrong with their car and they're not aware of it, let's say they have a, you know, I have a tire that's worn to the cords on the inside and, and you just say, listen, your tires are shot. I really almost can't let you leave the building like this. And maybe you show it to them. Maybe you do a video of it. And they're like, holy cow, I didn't realize it was that bad. Can you sell me a cheap tire? Well, yeah, you know, anything's better than what you got, really, literally. So you could be saving somebody's life even. So you should definitely inspect every vehicle, even if it's just one of these little quick, you know, with something that's old. I say, you know, the older you get, once you get past about 10, 15 years, there's a, a... a point of diminished returns, which means if you do a full inspection on a car, it's 15 years old, your percentage of success in selling repairs to a vehicle like that have really literally dropped off a cliff. Probably not going to go for it, but there will be that one time where they say, oh, go ahead. I take good care of my car. And not really, but uh, here's another thing that you can do. This is step four. Uh, This is something that your boss can do. It's not something that you are going to be able to do as a technician. It says to uh, reduce fees on credit card transactions. Uh, There's lots of fees that go along with credit card transactions. Yes, it's easy for the customer to pay for these things. They can even pay for these, pay for repairs over the phone and pick up the car when you're closed. That makes life a lot easier there. But uh, as far as saving money on credit card fees, definitely your boss should look into that or somebody who's in charge of that shit should look into it. Not something for you and I to look into. Uh, So we'll move on. Number five, invest in current customers and employees. Yes, I agree completely. Uh, One of the things that you can do is is take your customers and make them part of the family. You you really can. This is something that you can really do. Uh, Let's say you have a customer who comes to you religiously for all of their maintenance and all of their repairs, tires, everything, and you've made a lot of money on them. There is no reason in the world why you can't Find out when their birthday is and tell them, say, listen, if you come in on your birthday, we'll have some cake with you. We'll buy the cake and we'll give you a free oil change. If you've made enough money on that person, on that guy's repairs or that girl's repairs, you could certainly do that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. How long does it take you to do an oil change? It doesn't take very long at all. And guess what you can do while you have it on a lift? You can look the car over. You look the car over and go, well, you know, we're going to do the oil change for free, but she really needs tires. And you take him out while he's got cake on his face still. And you go, see, 
the tires don't look so good. So, I mean, you, you can get away with them for another few days or weeks even. We're going to recommend you get these replaced pretty soon here. Okay, so now you didn't actually sell him anything. You just told him he's going to need to buy something soon. Big difference there, okay? Trying to sell something and telling somebody they need something. Big difference, okay? If you tell them they're going to need something soon, they can take it as if they were family. Say, hey, man, you're going to need tires soon. Okay, you know, maybe I'll see you next week or in a couple of weeks, whatever. But they're going to remember that you took care of them. You've changed the oil for free. You got them some birthday cake. You had a little little party in the waiting room. You know, this is a good customer. And if it's not a good customer before, now they are. And there is absolutely no reason why you can't do things like that. There are no rules in this, okay? Invest in your current customer, sure. Send them a card on their birthday. Say, hey, here's a coupon for a free oil change. Let us know when you're coming in. We'll get some cupcakes. I mean, anything you can do to stand out from the competition is going to be a good thing. Anything that you can do. It's also going to help you guarantee that you get good or at least favorable reviews. And a lot of people nowadays, especially millennials and Gen Xers, they look at reviews and they see what's going on with a shop and maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. And they decide, they make decisions from the reviews. I've seen it. I've done it myself. <laughs> I'm not a millennial though. So uh, I take it with a grain of salt because sometimes the only people who leave reviews are people who are pissed off. Investing in your employees. I, you know, th- this whole podcast, it says invest in your current customers. And then in parentheses it says, and employees, this entire podcast is dedicated to having shop owners and businesses that own dealerships and shops, repair shops and niche and, and franchise repair shops. It is dedicated entirely to having you invest in your employees. Now saying investing in your employees, a number one, a, a solid livable wage would be a solid investment if the employee is a solid investment himself. If he creates and produces labor for you and he creates the opportunity to sell more labor on a car that comes in for just one thing and leaves with like 10 things. Yes, that's an investment. It's a whole, it's a sound investment, boys and girls. And I cannot, for the life of me, seem to get it through the fucking thick fucking head of the people who make these decisions. You need to pay. And if you want, instead of calling it wages, call it an investment. Call it an investment. Does it pay dividends? Well, I got to tell you what. If I look at the door labor rate and how much I make and how many hours I turn, I can fucking calculate the investment return. It doesn't take that much. How much money are you making off the labor that I create? Oh, wait, by the way, out of nowhere, out of thin air. I create that. And I go on every single car, every single car. I try to create more every single one, unless it's really, really new and doesn't need anything at all. There's going to be something tires, brakes, maybe even just a fucking air filter or or wiper blades or whatever. I'm trying to create the return on your investment. It's the fucking service advisors that are thwarting your investment. I like the SEC and your board, your uh, Jordan Belfort. They're coming to, they're looking for your ass to try to foot the kibosh on you making any money. If you got people like that in your employee, you need to get rid of them. To retain employees, this is what it says. To retain employees, invest in training and tools to help your technicians be more efficient and improve their work atmosphere. Oh my God. You could turn the heat up a little or turn the air conditioning up a little bit if you want. You could buy them lunch. Holy shit. Was that, is that, is that still against the law in Texas? I don't know. It might be. Uh, this can reduce turnover and improve the productivity of each employee. I think that that, 
This can reduce turnover and improve the productivity of each employee, improve their work atmosphere. Uh, that, that really, I'm going to just read that again, okay, without any comment this time. Ready? Here we go. To retain employees, invest in training and tools to help your technicians be more efficient and improve their work atmosphere. This can reduce turnover and improve the productivity of each employee. Yes. Also, too, you could make the wages a little bit more livable for everybody. Um, the, the problem that you have, okay, if you run a shop or if you run a dealership, is that technicians are typically not too stupid. They're not stupid at all, as a matter of fact. They might look stupid. They might do stupid things at times. I know I do. I look stupid and do stupid things. But I'm a college-educated individual. I have been to college three separate times and graduated each time. Thank you very much. And so uh, there are things that I know. Uh, There's also a hell of a lot of things I don't know. But one of the things I do know is that if you pay me a wage commensurate with my talent, my skill, and my experience, and my ability, I'm not going to have to go somewhere else to get it. I'm not going to have to go somewhere else and treat these people to how well I do my job. Yeah, I'm going to stay right there. The whole goddamn podcast is about you pulling your head out of your ass and paying your employees what they're worth, regardless of what some dumb fuck somewhere in your organization who doesn't know a fucking screwdriver from a fucking crescent wrench tells you that you should pay a technician. Those rules need to be thrown away and rewritten. You are seeing a decline in the number of people going to tech school and, and then graduating and getting into this field. And you're seeing a decline of people in this field because of the fact that it sucks. And some of us are retiring. Some of us are just leaving to go do something else. Some of us are just not going to get, not going to do it anymore. Do anything else, really, literally. So you, you're going to need to turn the tide. And the only thing that's really going to turn the tide for you is treating us better, showing us some appreciation and paying us more. That's it. That's the formula. That's the recipe. You know, you can adjust the amounts accordingly. Uh, there's some people who can't be enticed by any amount to either come back to do it or to continue to do it. The job is tough. Talked about it a million times. But you know what? You can. There's things that you can do. You can invest in your employees. And that amounts to basically giving them money, appreciation, training, and making it a nicer place to work. All right, let's move on here. This is the last point, and then your Uncle Jimmy will get off. Generate new customers with local coupon advertising. Now, this is something that your shop's going to do. It has nothing to do with you. Uh, If somebody comes in with a coupon, what do you care? They better pay you the same. It's not your coupon. They're not going to give somebody $10 or 20% off of your labor as it is paid to you. Should never do that. If they do that, then they need to be taken out back and shot in the back of the head. It is possible to spend money in advertising and increase profits at the same time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just have a little something to say about that before I move on. Uh, you can obviously target certain individuals with your coupons and your offers by where you place them. Uh, obviously, a uh, a Rolls Royce customer is not going to be looking in the local penny saver for a coupon to get $10 or 20% off of the oil change on the Rolls Royce. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. So doing that, if you are a Rolls Royce dealer, probably not work for you. And I'm dead serious about that when I tell you that. You're going to want to pick your poison. You're going to want to pick your targets. You're going to want to target your your most, your largest consumer group that uses you, that, that comes to your shop. You personally will know who that is. You personally will know where they are finding these coupons. You will see them. They have, they're going to cut them out of newspapers and magazines and bring them to you because they want to save money. 
Okay, that's the name of the game when it comes to getting your car repaired is how much is it going to cost? And can I save any money somehow or another? Sure. There's a coupon in Boys Life magazine. You got any Boy Scouts at home? No. Well, you could certainly go down to the newsstand and buy a copy of Boys Life and read about Pedro's pad and cut the coupon out and save 10% on a $100 service or a $1,000 service for that matter. It could be any. It could be anything or 20%. That's something that you as a shop owner could do. Uh, target your customers. Target areas where your customers aren't coming from also to try to create new customers. I think, honestly, uh, what I was talking about a little earlier where you treat your customers like family, I think that that's something that is actually fairly difficult to do. But the upside is so tremendous. Uh, when you include people in your group, Okay, now we've all done this, and I'm going to point this out to you real quick here, okay? And I'll tell you what I'm talking about here. I'm not making a little, not making a lot of sense right now, but as soon as I get done, you'll go, oh, I get it. Have you ever gone into a grocery store of some kind, whether it be Walmart or a Wegmans or, a, you know, HEB or something like that across the country, different supermarkets everywhere? You go in there, and the cashier says, hey, how you doing? And, and they don't, you know, for a fact, they don't want to hear the answer. And then the cashier in the next aisle turns to them and says something like, oh, what are you doing after work? And suddenly their attitude completely changes from when they were talking to you. And now they're talking to their coworker. Oh, I'm going out to the, I'm going down to the beach after work. And then you say, oh, is this coupon good? Yes, that coupon's good. You've, you've all seen it. It's kind of, I'm not even sure what the name of it is. If, I'm not even sure if it even has a name, but I call it retail face where you get a certain amount of personal interaction with somebody in that type of situation, but it is very, very limited, very limited. Yes and no answers, maybe rolling the eyes when you're not looking, maybe uh, looking at you like you're a piece of shit, and then talking to the guy in the aisle next to you or a cust or another employee that comes up behind you and says something to you, and then you turn on the personal charm that you have that you save for people you know. Now, if you can find a way to cut through that shit at your shop and treat everyone really genuinely and sincerely like their family, I got to tell you, in 100% of cases, and I mean this honestly, they will respond. They will respond favorably. We have customers at, at this one independent shop that I, I worked at not too long ago. They have a whole lot of customers that are really like family. And they some of them don't even like to go there. They do their own work, but they go there and get certain things done. Maybe maybe not any everything, maybe not anything at all. But they still feel like they're a part of a, of a club, a part of a family, part of a group of people. And they have events all the time and they all show up and it's ridiculous how successful that is at building their business. So don't don't put that into the back of your mind. Keep that in the front of your mind. How you treat people, how you interact with them and how you even speak to them, okay? If you talk to somebody who's a customer of yours, like they're your sister or your best friend or your best friend's mother or somebody who... And then you just say, hey, how are you? Been a while since I've seen you. All right. Everything good? Okay. How's the car? Is the car fine? All right. So we're just doing a regular service on it, right? You, can you hang out for like 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes? Yeah, I'm going to change the oil and we'll look her over and let you know if anything else is good. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, look, there's some uh, there's some brownies in there and they're really good. Don't eat too many of them. They'll make you sick if you eat a lot of them, but they're, they're really good. And then you go work on their car and you come back out and say, you know what? Car's good. Car's good. Got the oil changed. Topped off all your fluids, filled your air tire, you filled your checked your air pressures, make sure that those are good. Looks like you're good to go for another five thousand miles. Okay, and we'll see you then. Were the brownies okay? 
eh, yeah, they're not as good as the ones I make. I said, well, you know what? I'll give you 10% off. You can, I'll give you I'll give you 10% off your next service. You bring us some brownies next time and, and show me personally that your brownies are better than those. Make them part of the family. Make them bring you brownies. What the fuck? I mean, it seems silly to tell somebody to bring you brownies, but why not? Say they got to bring the car in. And they, I mean, it's it sounds ridiculous, especially to technicians who are listening to this, okay? But the better you treat the people who bring their cars to you the better they're going to treat you and the better and the, the more the better they're going to respond to you when you finally come up to them and say listen remember we told you the tires were not so good last time well they're even worse now so we really would like to get some new tires on this pig for you and if you say you can't afford them then uh, what we're going to do is we're going to work out a plan where you pay us like a hundred dollars a week till they're paid off and we're going to put them on there now because man i can't even i can't even let you drive it off the lot like this I mean, there's cords hanging out. It's just terrible. So looking after somebody is never, ever, ever going to be a bad thing. And looking after your employees is never, ever going to be a bad thing either. If you do it right and you're successful at it and, and it gets done right, then they keep working for you. But if you treat them like they're pieces of shit and you act like they're just livestock and you don't ever appreciate them, then they're going to leave. That's as simple as it gets. You know, you're going to have to provide raises and that. That's the standard message here. That's the standard message here at uh, Grease the Wheels. Pay us more, treat us better, and we won't leave. All right? All right. That's enough for your Uncle Jimmy. Listen, if your shop makes money, then uh, you will probably make more money as well. So, uh, you know, you kind of got to be a team, okay? And even though you might not like the quarterback, you, you, know, you kind of laugh inside or at least you clap whenever he gets sacked. That's your money that he's losing when that happens. So let's get together, act act accordingly, uh, be as helpful as we can, do the best we can, and hopefully you will enjoy, you will be able to reap the rewards and enjoy the rewards of that. All right, that's enough for your Uncle Jimmy. He's stepping out. That's it for this week. See ya.